there's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. Due to the graphic nature of this murder case, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes dramatizations and discussions of murder and assault that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. Now, enjoy the show. Come on! Come on! No! 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 Ah! What are you doing? Oh, please, no. No! On July 8th, 1943, Sir Harry Oakes was found murdered in his Bahamas mansion. The death was macabre and odd, inspiring investigations and speculation in equal measure. A baron who struck it rich in the gold rush and then moved to the Bahamas, Sir Oakes seemed to have it made. Just the night before, he'd hosted one of his famous parties. Drinks flowed and guests feasted on exotic dishes, little knowing this would be Sir Harry Oakes' last party. This is Unsolved Murders, true crime stories. You're listening to our final episode on the murder of Sir Harry Oakes. If you want to hear our investigation into other cold cases, you can listen, subscribe, and write reviews on your favorite podcast directory. You can also listen through our website, parcast.com, spelled P-A-R-C-A-S-T.com. I'm your host, Carter Roy. And I'm your host, Wendy McKenzie. On the night of his demise... The mansion was a refuge from one of the tropical storms that are standard in Nassau. A large soiree of friends and neighbors drank with Oaks into the night, but by 11 p.m., almost everyone had left. Or at least that's the way Harold Christie tells the story. Christie, a close friend of Oaks who was in no shape to drive home, spent the night in the guest room. What? Oh, shoot. Uh, what time is it? My word. Though he awoke once during the night due to the torrential storm outside, Harold Christie claimed he didn't hear anything suspicious. 
He says he didn't actually leave his bedroom until the morning. Holy mother of... Oh, I say it every weekend and I'll say it again. I'm done with drinking. That's it. That's the last time. Too damn old to deal with this headache for half the day. Harry, how are you hanging in there this morning? Me too. What do you say to some stew fish to ease us into the day? Of course, we can't go wrong with grits either. Every breakfast they make here has them anyway, so hardly even an option. <laughs> Come on, Harry, up and at him. Dear Lord, you're in worse shape than I thought. I'll get you some water. Christy claimed he didn't even know Oakes was dead when he first saw him. He said he tried to get him to drink water and also tried to clean him up with a towel before realizing Oakes was dead. Harry? Harry! Oh! What have they done to you? The corpse and scene of the death were very strange. The cause of death, some form of trauma to the head, either from a single blow or repeated blows. Beneath the congealed blood surrounding Oakes's head, there were four small indentations. The detectives claimed that he appeared to have been hit in the head with a blunt, triangular object. But that would come under question throughout the trial, as there were also medical claims that it wasn't blunt force trauma at all, but rather gunshots. And that wasn't all. The body was also soaked in gasoline, along with parts of his bedroom and lit on fire. It's unclear why the fire didn't spread farther and burn the whole room or body, but Christie claimed by the time he got there, there was no active fire. There was a partially charred Chinese lacquered screen near his bed that was covered in blood and smudgy fingerprints. His burned body was also covered with feathers from his pillow. There were two theories for why his body was in such a bizarre state after he was beaten to death. The more obvious one is the murderer was trying to conceal evidence that could implicate him or her. And the more salacious theory is that it was some kind of sadistic ritual killing. Sir Harry Oakes wasn't the only famous person on the island. In fact, he wasn't even the most famous. That honor would go to the Duke and Duchess of Windsor. The Duke once was known by a different title, King Edward VIII of the United Kingdom. Edward became king in 1936 and almost immediately was a figure of controversy. Many politicians grew worried about his lack of respect for standard political protocol and convention. And within months of taking the throne, Edward was embroiled in a scandal. I swear, Edward, you spend more time with the Americans than you do your own countrymen. If I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times, Lady Furness. Of all the colonies we used to have, these were the worst to lose. I'd love to have them back as part of our United Kingdom, instead of the little runaway rebels they are. <laughs> Well, you and your country shouldn't have played so hard to get, Prince Edward. I beg your pardon, ma'am? Don't blame me for my father's 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 mistake. Prince Edward, this is my good friend Wallace Simpson. How do you do? I do just fine. As do the rest of these United States you so unceremoniously lost. Is that so? It is. But I'm kind of glad we're separate countries. Keeps your accent foreign and enticing. I wish I could say the same. Oh, please. I have eyes, Prince Edward. I can tell when someone's enticed. 
Sometime in the early 1930s, the at-the-time prince began an affair with an American woman, Wallace Simpson. This was hardly his first scandalous affair as a prince. He had brief relations with many married women. But Wallace Simpson became somewhat of a permanent fixture in his life, despite his father King George V's disapproval. His father and mother only received her once at Buckingham Palace in 1935, and then never allowed that to happen again. She was a twice-divorced American, and this budding relationship so worried King George V that he had the Metropolitan Police Special Branch secretly track their moves and report to him. After King George's death, however, it was just up to other members of the government to fret, while King Edward carried on this questionable affair. The couple was photographed on a cruise of the Eastern Mediterranean throughout August and September of 1935. It was becoming clear to everyone that the couple was heading quickly towards marriage. The American media spread the gossip like wildfire, but the British kept silent on the affair and the public remained none the wiser. That was until December. Ah, Prime Minister Baldwin. King Edward. A pleasure as always. Likewise, what was it you wanted to speak to me about? I, uh, I have some exciting news. I'm going to marry Wallace Simpson. Oh, oh dear. I was afraid you'd say that. Why? Are you against love, Prime Minister? No, 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 don't twist my words, but, but hear me out. Your subjects will not like this. They won't like this one bit. Marriage after divorce is a sin according to the Church of England. She's been divorced twice now. You can't make her the queen. What if I gave her some other title and I don't make her queen? The idea was presented to the British cabinet and the other Dominion governments and was almost universally rejected. Edward threatened to abdicate the throne if he couldn't marry her, and that was just what he did on December 10th, 1936. His brother became king and proclaimed the couple the Duke and Duchess of Windsor. After some travels and a host of other scandals, the Duke of Windsor found himself the governor of the Bahamas by July of 1940. During the three years the scandalous figures shared the island, the Duke and Sir Harry Oakes became great friends. So, upon Oakes's murder, the Duke took charge of the investigation into the murder immediately. Duke! Excuse me! Rumors are flying about that there's... There's nothing to report at this time. Thank you for your concern. We've got to keep this away from the press until the investigation is over. Darling, who knows how long that could take. Well, at least until we have a suspect then. Well, even that could take weeks. How long was it before the Nassau police did anything when that homeless man kept showing up around the house? <sighs> this damn third-class British colony. Why not contact Scotland Yard? Isn't that who we should be going to? It would be if it wasn't for this damn war. Every single detective is working on rounding up Axis spies. Well, what about bringing in those Miami officers? There was that detective, Melchin, who guarded us when we were there. Brilliant! Mwah. I'll contact him immediately. For Lady Oak's sake, I hope it turns out to be a murder. For the colony's sake, I hope it was suicide. I'll have a doctor sent over immediately. And so, just as he did as king, the Duke of Windsor once again issued all protocol and convention to follow his own path. He brought a doctor over who told him what he wanted to hear. Well, uh, uh certainly possible it was suicide, especially if the head wound was caused by a bullet. 
but a second doctor's prognosis showed four triangular wounds in a pattern on his head. Combined with the partial burning of the body, a suicide seemed highly unlikely, despite the Dukes' hopes to the contrary. He brought in two Miami detectives, Captain James Barker and Captain Edward Melchin, who had once guarded him on his travels. Bringing police officers from a foreign country in to investigate a murder was completely unheard of. And this strange action only came under more scrutiny as the two made a total mess of the investigation. Our story will continue in a moment after the break. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings wherever you get your podcasts. And now let's continue the story. At the Duke of Windsor's request, Captain James Barker and Captain Edward Melchin investigated the crime scene. Barker, take a look at this. Where am I looking? On the wall there by the bed. I'll be damned. The fool left a bloody handprint. Why can't they always make it this easy on us? There was mud going up the stairs to the bedroom too. Footprints there. What do you say? This is definitely a homicide, right? No way this is self-inflicted. Hey, did you dust for fingerprints? No, it's far too humid. Oak's death was ruled to be a murder case, not a suicide. And though the Duke got the detectives he wanted, he didn't entirely get his way. Let's bag and tag. Do you have the latent fingerprint camera? You don't know. What? It's on my desk. In Miami? Yes, damn it. I can see it in my head exactly where it is. The investigation fell into shambles almost immediately. The two detectives were supposed to be fingerprint experts, but they forgot their important equipment. And that was just the tip of the issues in their investigation. In fact, it turned out Detective Barker was not a fingerprint expert at all. He was actually a former ambulance driver and motorcycle cop who had twice come under scrutiny for infractions. Despite the Duke's best efforts, his attempt at a press embargo was ineffective. The murder of a man as famous and as wealthy as Sir Harry Oakes wasn't going to be possible to hide. It quickly made headlines and didn't leave the Tribune for months, a Nassau newspaper that was no friend of the Duke and constantly attacked him. Prominent locals soon flocked to the house and there was no effort made to stop them. We have the fingerprint from the Chinese screen. We don't even know for sure if that's his. Who cares? We know it's gotta be him. Even if the fingerprint doesn't match, what do they have in his favor? <sighs> All right, let's just get this over with and get home. Only three days after Oakes was found dead, the police arrested their main suspect, Freddie D. Marini. 
No proper autopsy was conducted, there was no search for the murder weapon, and yet the detectives were convinced they'd found their man. Freddie was another rich man living on the island, and he also happened to be Oak's son-in-law. The two have been neck and neck throughout the semifinals, but it looks like Dee Marini has pulled ahead and won! That's going to do it for the 1940 Nassau Yacht Club Championship. Alfred Di Marini described himself as a count, though he was not actually a member of French royalty. He assumed the title from his mother's side of the family. The wealthy faux count loved competitive sailing. It was at one such event where Oakes' daughter Nancy first met him. Pretty impressive showing back there. Well, anything less than winning would be an embarrassment. I agree. There's a reason I'm talking to you and none of the other sailors. <laughs> Is that so? It is. I'm flattered. Well, it was nice to talk to the champion. I'd best be off now. Wait. Yes? Why the rush? Wouldn't you like to get to know the champion better? I guess I better now, before someone usurps you. Ho oh, ho ho, you're funny. I'm a lot of things. Nancy was just 17 when the two met. Dee Marini, he was 32. Marini was already twice divorced by 1942, but in May of that month, two days after Nancy's 18th birthday, the two eloped in New York City. Her parents found out after the deed was done. Nancy was a very rebellious teenager. Her father despised Di Marini, and the feeling was mutual. Her father hated Marini's well-documented playboy ways, and as discussed in the previous episode, Oakes was difficult to get along with. The relationship would only get worse by the end of the year. After a vacation to Mexico, Nancy struggled through an awful bout with typhoid. And during that time, she also found out that she was pregnant. Miss, I'm afraid we have some bad news. Uh, there's no easy way to say this. It's not true. It can't be. I wish I had a different answer, too. But uh, we'll go to a different doctor. We've already been to a different doctor. M miss, in your current condition, you're just too weak right now to carry the baby to term. If Oakes had disapproved of Nancy's relationship with Dee Marini before, he was now livid. The idea that this man ever laid with you disgusts me to my core. Was it consensual? I'll talk to the Duke and I'll see that he's hanged for rape. Father, stop! I love him! He didn't do... That? Well, you can't keep it. It? It's my child! It is going to kill you! I won't let my daughter die so the sex maniac's son can live. Father, please! This time, her father did decide what would happen with his daughter. She had an abortion at Good Samaritan Hospital in West Palm Beach. And Count Alfred D. Marini and Sir Harry Oakes never spoke again. Their feud was common knowledge on the island. Some claimed they'd heard the Count threaten to crack Sir Harry's head before. Many also believed rumors that the Count would inherit everything if Harry Oakes were to pass away. The populace had their suspect, and the Duke and detectives were all too happy to oblige them. Hello, officers. Count Alfred D. Marini? That's me. I'm Detective Melchin. This is my partner, Detective Barker. Do you mind if we ask you a few questions? No, that's okay. Where were you the night of July 7th? I was at home. Can anyone corroborate that? Several people. I was hosting a party. The detectives knew this was a good alibi. But they had their suspect and they wanted him to go down. So they brought him to the Oaks Mansion for further questioning, 
and a dastardly trick. Please, come upstairs. Why upstairs? Please cooperate, Count. It'll make this easier for everyone. Have a seat. The detective asked him some standard questions, but he really only needed him up there for one. Excuse me, would you mind pouring me a glass of water? Of course not. Have one yourself too, if you want. The detectives wound up letting him go home after questioning. When Dee Marini had touched the pitcher and glasses of water, he'd left plenty of prints for the detectives to lift. That afternoon, they went back to his house and brought him to the station. This time, the commissioner and the attorney general of the Bahamas also waited for him. Alfred D. Marini, you are under arrest for the murder of Sir Harry Oakes. While her father was murdered and the detective planted evidence framing her husband, Nancy was in Miami, as she'd planned to study dance in the U.S. that summer with the incredibly influential dancer Martha Graham. Her close friend, dancer Merce Cunningham, broke the news of her father's death to her. Initially, she traveled to the family's summer home in Maine to be with her mother. But once her husband was arrested, she returned to Nassau to come to his rescue, a mission in which she was alone. Almost the entire town and Oakes's family believed the Count to be guilty. As soon as he was committed for trial, a rope was purchased for his seemingly inevitable hanging. You get five minutes. Nancy, my love. Alfred? Oh, dear Lord. I didn't do it, I swear. I know. I know you didn't. We're going to get you out of here. Please, you must. The guards, they keep the lights on in my room all the time. They said it so I can see all the rats and roaches. Filthy pigs. I've hired someone, a private detective, an American. Who is it? Raymond Schindler. He's the best of the best. I've heard of him. How much is this costing? 300 a day plus expenses. Oh, Nancy, you don't deserve to be put through this. Does my husband's life have a price? I would lose everything to get you back. Raymond Schindler had a sterling reputation for being just as good as Nancy said. He was the leading private detective in the United States for more than 50 years and relished his own fame. By 1950, a book about his true life cases would be published. Unfortunately, the case of Oakes's death would wind up a black mark on his record, though through no fault of his own. The Nassau police wouldn't let him enter the Oakes mansion for a week. And when he finally did... We'll follow Schindler's investigation after the break. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Sound the gifting panic alarm. You need to get an amazing gift. Wait, no, the perfect gift. Relax. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click gift mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot... Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, 
all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. And now back to the story. After a week of waiting, P.I. Raymond Schindler finally got access to the Oaks Mansion. Can we help you? Hello, Officer. Raymond Schindler, P.I. I have a question for you and your partner. What might that be? What the hell are you doing? Excuse me? You and your partner scrubbing the walls outside his bedroom. Our orders are to remove all fingerprints. What? You're destroying evidence. Whose prints are those? They're none of the accused person, sir. They will only confuse the evidence. It wasn't just the Duke's imported Miami detectives hampering due process. The local police force fell in line with the general public consensus and were all too willing to help make the case against De Marini. On October 18, 1943, the trial began. Hundreds of islanders stood outside of the courthouse in the morning, itching for a shot to sit in one of the 105 seats in the courtroom. International reporters gathered for the trial. For a couple of days, it took the front page away from World War II. Nancy's picture wound up everywhere, with comparisons of her appearance to movie star Katherine Hepburn accompanying it. Once the trial started, it was every bit the spectacle people expected it to be. Count Alfred Di Marini was brought into the courtroom in a cage on top of a three-foot stand. He described it personally as the kind of thing one might see in the zoo to protect the onlookers from a dangerous creature. This was in no way standard procedure and was done to appease the town's hatred of the man. The case the Crown brought against De Marini was all circumstantial. Everyone knew he was on bad terms with Sir Oaks due to his marriage to his daughter, but he'd also been seen driving past the Oaks mansion several times the night of the murder. De Marini explained this by saying he was driving a female companion home from the party he was at that night. The most damning evidence seemed to be the fingerprint, which the detectives lied about, saying they'd lifted them from the Chinese print in Oakes's bedroom. DeMarini's attorney, Godfrey W. Higgs, was thankfully well prepared. He did a test to show that any fingerprints from the Chinese screen would also show the scroll work from its surface. This didn't occur in any of the prints detectives Melchin and Barker presented. Mr. Higgs, you may proceed. Detective Barker, I suggest that you and Captain Melchin deliberately planned to get the accused alone in order to get his fingerprints. We did not. I suggest that Exhibit J did not come from that screen. It did come from that screen, from the number five panel. May I suggest that your desire for personal gain and notoriety has caused you to sweep aside truth. I put it to you, sir. You have fabricated evidence. I have not. After more cross-examination, the supposed smoking gun, the fingerprints, seemed even more suspect. Detective Barker attended the funeral and there told both Nancy and Lady Eunice Oakes that he had already identified DeMarini's fingerprints on the Chinese screen, even though no fingerprints were processed until days after that. DeMarini also had several witnesses confirm his alibi. Guests of his party testified that not only were they at the party, but that he drove many people home during the timeline that the medical examiners said Oakes was killed. The Crown's case seemed weaker and weaker, and it didn't help that the Duke of Windsor and Governor of the Bahamas was mysteriously gone from the island throughout the trial. The trial lasted 25 days. On November 14, 1943, it took the jury just over an hour to return with their verdict. The jury finds the defendant not guilty. 
Thank the Lord. <laughs> oh, thank you, God. The trial was over. After being humiliated and framed, Count Alfred D. Marini was free. And strangely, for a murder case that made the front page around the world, that was that. The Duke didn't continue to pursue the case, and the Nassau police had been kept on the outside throughout the whole investigation, and the American detectives were shamed for botching their role and fabricating evidence. So the question still remains to this day, who killed Sir Harry Oakes? Several theories abound, many fantastical and far-fetched, but then so was the strange murder. A popular theory at the time, due to the partial burning, feathers, and seemingly intentional desecration of the corpse, was that it was a voodoo ritual killing. At this time in the Bahamas, ritualistic voodoo sacrifices were still carried out by some native cults, but these sacrifices often involved farm animals such as chickens. No individual voodoo suspect was ever named, and there was no hard evidence to suggest any of this, just the feathers on his body. It was more likely racism of the town, who thought of voodoo in the same way Puritans thought of witchcraft. It was mostly a benign religion that people liked to prescribe an exotic danger to. And although many in the town might have disliked Oaks, there was no reason to think voodoo communities in particular wanted to sacrifice him. The most obvious suspect, now that Oaks's son-in-law enemy had been exonerated, was the man who found his body, Harold Christie. County Marini certainly believed he was the culprit. In my mind, there's no doubt whatsoever that Harold Christie should have been tried and hanged for the murder of Sir Harry Oakes. While hired hands acted for him, it was Christie who ordered the fatal act committed that turbulent night in Nassau. Christie was a popular suspect not only for his proximity to the crime itself, but also because of the friends he kept. We have five shipments coming into the bay on Saturday. I'm not going to sit there twiddling my thumbs waiting for the cops to show up. Let's get this taken care of now, okay? Sorry about that. What do you need, Christy? Here to pick up the rum, Mr. Lansky. Got a buyer who pays 25% above asking. Christy was a bootlegger and a rum runner during Prohibition and became associated with Meyer Lansky, a man who would become a notorious Miami mobster. His racket was casinos, and he wanted to move in on a new territory, the Bahamas. Mr. Lansky, I'd like you to meet Governor Edward. Please. Call me Duke. The three were in cahoots to start mob-run casinos in the Bahamas, and initially, Oakes was on board, too. The theory is that he changed his mind and backed out on the arrangement, instead trying to block them from building the casinos. That meant he had to be killed. Other theories involve the mob, but are less conspiratorial. Usually just someone working for Lansky getting off on the wrong foot with Oakes, killing him, and then Christie helping cover up the crime. Another prominent resident of the island, Hildegard Hamilton, was perhaps the most aware of all the goings-on in Nassau. She was a painter who made camp along the banks of the New River. She painted the government house for an early governor in 1938 and also painted Oakes's mansion. And in 1950, she told the FBI that she knew who murdered Oakes, Harold Christie. The idea that Christie committed the murder seems to be the most popular. FBI files claimed that Police Chief Robinson confirmed the artist's story and said Christie was definitely the murderer. However, it's odd that there was no action taken against him. Other theories involved something even more sinister than the mob, Nazi connections. Axel Venergren was a Swedish businessman who also lived on the island. He made his millions simply selling light bulbs and other household electrical equipment. 
Oakes became fast friends with this other fabulously rich man and would sometimes go out with him on his yacht, at the time, the largest in the world. Oh, this is quite spectacular. I really must get one of these. Just make sure to get a smaller one. Wouldn't want to think you were trying to usurp me. <laughs> uh, excuse me, I must quickly retire to the restroom. Down the hall to the left. Oh, no, not that room. Hey, what in the world? Venner Grin secretly had Nazi connections. He was close friends with Hermann Goering and other notorious war criminals. Oakes may have found out too much. Rumor has it that he even discovered documents proving Venner Gren might be a spy for the Germans. However, this is another theory that's only based on circumstantial evidence. There's nothing at all tying Venner Gren to the scene of the crime. Who ended the once lavish life of a successful gold baron? For our money, it's Christie. He was in the house, suspiciously seen walking about at strange hours of the night, and possibly had the most to gain from killing him. Christie was a close friend of Oakes, but he was also in debt to him. He owed him a great deal of money, but it never really was an issue until near the time of his death, when Oakes suddenly demanded Christie pay up. Sensing he'd never be able to settle the debts, Christie might have just taken out the lender. Though the body wasn't burned completely, it does seem Christie had the right idea to rid the scene of as much evidence as possible. No one could clearly tell what the cause of death was through the charred flesh, so they never looked for a murder weapon which could have brought Christie down. He also knew Oakes had a negative relationship with De Marini, and, once he became the prime suspect, would have been all too happy to steer the investigation away from himself. But what do you think? Who was the most likely man behind the slaying of Sir Harry Oaks? Weigh in on Twitter at Parcast Network or on Facebook.com slash Parcast with your own theories. And don't forget to subscribe to Unsolved Murders on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, or any other podcast directory. If you like what you hear, leave a five-star review or tell us what you think on Facebook or Twitter at Parcast Network. A new episode comes out every Tuesday, and next Tuesday, we'll investigate the case of the alphabet murders. We'll see you next time. If we live till next time. Unsolved Murders True Crime Stories was created by Max Cutler, it is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the ParCast Network. It is produced by Ron and Max Cutler, sound designed by Ron Shapiro and Kenny Hobbs, with production assistance by Maggie Admire, and written by Kenneth Martin and Samantha Gurash. Unsolved Murders True Crime Stories stars Carter Roy and Wendy McKenzie. The amazing cast of voice actors includes, by alphabetical order, Mike Capozzi, Z. Cruz, Kimberly Holland, Harris Markson, Nicholas Massu, and Greg Polson. 